All Three Beards Media podcasts originate from the Gravitate Coworking Studio, sponsored by Revelton Distilling Company. This Three Beards Media podcast may contain mature themes, and if you're not down with that, we got three words for you. Like the podcast. Nailed it! Would you like to sample some of my nuts? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Old Man Strength. I am your host, Chris Shipley, and as always, I welcome back my guest, my co-host, Aaron Wall. Aaron, how are you doing tonight? You know, I'm I'm doing good. Um, you know, I'm still bothered by that intro, but this time it's because it says starring Aaron Wall, and I'm like, am I really starring? You are I'm just here. You drew the you drew the short stick, my friend. I think I'm just here <laughs> about starring. I'm like a B player or something, I think. Listen, uh, anytime you want to send over a better photo, you go ahead. But until then, that photo is staying up there. It's my favorite. Well, buddy, I don't have any good photos in the history of ever. So, Snapchat does some nice filters and clean you uh, right up. It makes me look good. Hard pass. Hard pass. How I'm are you? Good. I'm good. Not too bad. Uh, two weeks in on my new job. It's amazing what happens when you get a fun job and you enjoy it, how much your outlook on life turns around. I'm I'm a lot happier person the last few weeks. Yeah, right. That that always makes a big difference. Um, uh, I've been seeing on Twitter, and and we've had a little bit of our own here uh, today, but is it like 70 degrees there and then suddenly going to be like freezing in a couple of days? It was 78 degrees high today. I drove home with the top down on the car. And tomorrow, I think, is supposed to be 67 mid-morning. And by the time evening rolls around, I think it's supposed to be in its, in the 30s. And then we may or may not get snow on Wednesday. So, nice. Uh, Good and old as, Iowa it, weather. And as everybody says, it's the it's the girls' basketball tournament week. So, you know. Oh, that's right. Thank, thank your lucky stars we're not getting an ice storm because that could yeah, happen too. That's right. I so. forgot about that whole every year deal yeah, yeah i always incredible. thought it was bullshit but uh it seems to happen every year so yeah that's incredible we uh got a little hail today which was unusual for the pacific northwest so you know it's uh it's a weird shit going on everywhere that's crazy that's well crazy. let's let's get into this huh yeah absolutely we've got our our guest uh tonight and i'm not going to do a big huge introduction because there's so many things we could I could say um, that it's probably just let him, better to let him talk about it. But he he's an ISU letter winner in football, um, served in our military. Apparently, an all around great guy, according to some people we know. We'll let him argue that about that. I don't know. <laughs> um, did the pizza with We Will Collective? Our guest tonight is Tim Creaseman. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, Aaron gave you a, a brief little introduction, but why don't you fill in some holes? Give our give our listeners and viewers just a little high level view of of uh, 
of who Tim Creaseman is. Well, Tim Creaseman's a middle-aged man that's getting older by the by the hour, by the minute, <laughs> with not the best health. But no, uh, yeah, I currently work for the John Deere Corporation. I um, have Creaseman Foods on the side, and uh, we got hooked up with We Will here a couple of months ago and started manufacturing frozen pizzas and selling them in the local Hy-Vees and Fairway stores. Uh, I was born and raised in Boone, Iowa. Uh, grew up a Cyclone fan ever since I was birthed and uh, played football there from 83 through 80, 88, and then coached for another year while I finished my degree and graduated in 89. So have a small farm south of the town of Boone, and and uh, that's kind of a hobby farmer and have an ag degree from Iowa State, and that's kind of my story. Well, that's... Uh... I think doing uh, doing it pretty lightly because it sounds like there's a lot of stuff in there. But yeah, uh, I've done a lot of know, things. I, I've been in the military, been around the world. I've done a lot of things. So yeah, so I didn't I didn't grow up a cyclone. Um, I don't even think I've said this on this pod. Anyways, I was born a Mizzou Tiger. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, I grew up in Missouri, Kansas City, till we moved to Iowa when I was. 10 which would have been 1989 no offense right what a dick why are you Um, on an old man strength podcast i'm like 20 years older than you are yeah not quite young man strength (laughs) not quite um you know so i didn't grow up into it and never you know and obviously i didn't play collegiate athletics either but can you describe what it's like growing up as a fan of a team and then having the opportunity to play for them well when i was a little kid i grew up in boone iowa which is was uh 11 miles 13 miles from iowa state and my dad he grew up a husker and came from western nebraska mccook nebraska and he came to town with 40 dollars in a suitcase and he established a meat processing plant called randy's meats with a great uncle and some cousins and there was there was a lot of these plants around the country that were his uncles that kind of started the company so he came to town and he gravitated, being so close to Iowa State, he gravitated towards Iowa State. And back in the old Clyde Williams field days, he bought season tickets. And that was probably, I was born in 65. That's how old I am. But, and I remember ever since I was, you know, two years old or even before sitting on his lap at Iowa State games at the old Clyde Williams field. So that was kind of, you know, I kind of grew up that way. And and I had, when I was a little kid, I told this on another podcast that I had a little George Amundsen football, you know, I had a little tiny, one of those little yellow footballs. They would come over to Boone and they would do fundraisers or speaking events. So I had a George Amundsen autographed football and he played, I think he was done in like 72. So I was a little kid, you know, four or five years old, went to the wrestling meets. Didn't, I don't remember ever going to any of the basketball games, but I do remember going to Clyde Williams and the Cannon and and watching games, you know, sitting on my dad's knee, you know, as a little kid. So had a Matt Blair jersey when I was a little kid, you know, number four, I think he's 47. I don't have the jersey anymore, obviously. But but so I, I just kind of grew up, you know, just had it in my blood. And then I missed a lot of my senior year playing football. So Iowa State wasn't going to give me a scholarship. I could have went to Drake and some other schools, northeastern Oklahoma or wherever. But um, I just always wanted to go to Iowa State, so you know, as a walk-on. So I walked on the program, and the rest is kind of history, you know. So, so what was that like 
as a memory for your dad then if the, to, to be able to watch his son put on a uniform i don't know he was the they, exact opposite right so they called him the duke he was he was kind of you know he wasn't you know you didn't get a lot of kudos from that guy you know he was just kind of a big hardened old farm type guy and uh but i think he was proud of me especially when i started to play and get on the field a little bit you know he i think he was uh you know i think he was proud he never missed a game he would put on the old farmer coveralls and he would go to each and every game and he he just never missed he was he donated money when they built the new stadium cyclone stadium and uh now you know, named Jack Trice. And so he, you know, he just was one of those guys that was just a diehard, which was crazy. He still cheered for the Huskers, but he, he wore his Cardinal in gold when the, we played <laughs> Nebraska, which I, you know, I'd never really understood that, but he just, he, I don't know. He just was always a Cyclone fan through all the good times and the bad times. And uh, I remember going when I was 12, going to the Nebraska Iowa state game out in Lincoln. And when we beat them, they had a, Nebraska had I am hip and, all these great players and we had like Dexter green, all these other great cyclones. And, and I remember as a little kid, you know, walking across university of Nebraska's campus after Iowa state had beat them. And, you know, the, the, the tuba player was crying, you know, they were bawling and I, and I, for to see grown people cry like that when you're a, a 11 year old kid, you know, I'm like, I remember, saying to my dad i'm like dad why is the why is the band why are they crying i mean it's a game right you know and he was like they don't take losing out here very well and it doesn't happen very often and so you know so that was kind of my takeaway but i was happy that we won and i had my iowa state jersey on and i was like woo you know and the nebraska fans hated my guts you know probably for being like that but my cousin all, all my cousins on my dad's side he had one sister. They had four kids. They all went to graduate at the University of Nebraska. And the center on the football team was my oldest cousin's roommate at the time when we were out there. So he was going. He was attending Nebraska. We were there with my aunt and uncle. So it was a great day to be a uh, Cyclone fan, I think. But <laughs> the old Earl Bruce days, you know. So, and that I got to sit like next it. to Earl Bruce and Johnny Majors at a letter winners event. They came up and plopped down right across for me on a picnic table and I think it was there with Greg Butts and Shroggy and all these other guys. And uh I remember them coming up and sitting down, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's Earl Bruce. That's Johnny Majors. You know, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I get I, hey Coach Bruce, can I get a picture with you? You know, because I grew up as a little kid, you know, watching his team. So it was just kind of neat. It's always fun. And I think my dad was proud of me. I think he was he's dead now, but I think he uh you know he never really said as much, I think, but you know, he never missed a game either. So it was kind of fun. Yeah. He was like a lot of guys that age, he was an actions guy, right? Yeah. I, I do remember we, we played down in Oklahoma state in uh, Stillwater and he had a horse. We had horses. I had horses growing up in cattle. We grew up out in the country and he was a horse breeder. He bred registered quarter horses and registered paint horses. And he um, he was down there for a sale, but he came over to the game, you know. So, I mean, he even went to a couple of the away games. So, that was he was a super fan, I think. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, I, I'd love to kind of start there with, with your dad because it obviously with, with playing football and, and, and serving in the military and, and you know, being a, a – in charge of your company or whatever, such a strong work ethic. Grew up on a farm, I'm assuming. 
what yeah. what what were your days as a young Tim uh, on the farm with you with your dad, and, and what was that like? Well, he he worked in town, but it was you know he he came you know he was born like during the Depression time, and he came from nothing. My father was a, a miner, and then worked for the railroad before he retired, and uh, so my grandfather. So you know he just you know he grew up in a tough era. You know, I mean, they, you hit the ground running, I think was, was his work ethic and, and, you know, a, a day in the life, you know, I, I grew up at a very early age walking beans and, and baling hay. And I still put up a lot of hay to this day. I think that's just one of the things that just kind of is in my blood and why I still hobby farm. I love it. I would, I always tell my wife, if I win the lottery, I'm going to farm till the money's gone, you know? So but um, I just I like the farming, and that was that was kind of my childhood. You know, I spent you know when I was in college, I would get out of bed in the summer. I would feed cattle. I worked for a cattle feeder north of the town of Boone, Iowa, that fed about two thousand head of cattle. And so you would you know you'd be on a tractor and fixing fence and doing the whole nine yards. And, and I had an ag degree, so that made sense to me. So my summers were spent working on the farm, where a lot of other kids maybe had jobs at at other types of venues. So, but that was, that was kind of where I get my drive. My dad was the type of guy that had, um, you know, he's president of the school board, deacon of the church. He's got ball fields named after him in Boone. He just, he was kind of a, he did a lot for the community. And um, the day that he died, we were the guy that was, we went to the cemetery to pick out the plot. And you know, we were talking to the guy and he ran the Boone Fire and Rescue in a small town. Boone's 13,000 people. And uh, the guy said, you know, your dad, he would we would buy fish for our fish fry for our fire and rescue to buy new equipment. And he they'd go over to Randy's Meats and he'd, he would, you know, he would take care of the bill. We'd ask him what what, you know, what do we owe you? You know, and he's like, nothing. I got it. And so he was very generous in the community, I think, as all my family was. They, you know. They gave a lot to the town and that's just the type of guy he was. And hopefully some of that rubbed off on me. So. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems like it with all, all that you're doing and, and we'll get into more of that, but uh, I want to say that uh, this Tim and I might be the only people in the world that enjoy bailing hay. I tell you, I miss it some days still. I mean, my dad was uh managed grain elevators when I was growing up. So he would, that. He would sell me out to all the farmers. Yeah. My boy's available, right? But I, yeah. I just it was something about being yeah. on a wagon and throwing bales, and I, I enjoyed it. It's it's weird. I don't know what it is. Well, about, you know, I I bought work. a new square baler, a brand new John Deere square baler, and and you know, I'm thinking this will be good. I'll put my I have three kids, a son, a daughter, and a son, and my youngest is going to be turning 18 this April. And I thought, well, I'll buy a square baler, and they'll learn the same work ethic I had. 104 degree heat. We'll go out there and bail hay. My daughter, you know, the minute she would hit the field, how long are we going to do this? All day. <laughs> In 12 hours. What? Is there another field after this one? Oh, yeah. And she, yeah. you know, and it, it, and well, you're sitting in the air conditioned cab. And I'm like, well, I've paid my dues, you know, it's right. your turn, you know. <laughs> And my wife would come out and, and she would help. And then she would come up to the tractor and she says, this is it. I because I'm taking Chloe home. She goes, I cannot handle the bitching. <laughs> I, can't, I can't handle it. You know, she's like, she's just wearing me down. You know, it's, she's taking the fun out of it. But, 
But I had my kids out there and they all three have a pretty good work ethic. Not because I, you know, you know, it wasn't uh, the beating, you know, the beatings will continue till the morale improves. It wasn't <laughs> quite like that, but it was, but it was, you know, it was kind of close. Um, you know, it was, you know, we, we worked and I'm, and they got paid, you know, and I paid them and mm-hmm. I just thought that, well, this will be great. You know, they'll have to learn with the kids today. It's, it's not like that. They'll, they'll just, they won't do it. But I remember one day we were bailing, it was about 104 and Aaron, you'll appreciate this, but it was like 104 degrees. And my oldest son was on the rack and he was doing great. He was by himself, putting up rap bail after bail after bail. And, uh, he started throwing up and I'm like, uh Oh you know, heat stroke, you know, I'm thinking, you know, yeah. all right, I've maybe overdone it, overdid it a little bit, you know? So I'm like, that was kind of the end of that. But a friend of mine bought the baler off me and now he does it, but it's all automated <laughs> anymore. We don't, you know, if we can grab it, with the we bu- bundles of square bales and if we can get it with a grapple, and then I also do round bales, you know, everything's done yeah. from an air conditioned cab, you know, if you can, if you can do it that way. Cause I've, I get soft. I mean, I'm a fair weather farmer now. It's a, it's a hobby. You know, I just do it because it's it's kind of like um, uh, it's kind of like relief, like PTSD uh, treatment or whatever. You know, it's a way sure. to get outside and, you know, so that's kind of the, the deal. That's kind of why I do it. But no, well, I can no more, I, go ahead. Aaron. I was say no more going up into the barn and coming out with black stuff coming out of your nose for oh, two days. And... Well, that's, that still happens because once in a while a baler, you know, and I, I try to have fairly new equipment, but. When things don't cooperate, you know, you're working on it and you, you still, I come home and my nose is all stuffed up and I need Benadryl for the next three days after that. And I'm thinking to my, you know, I'm telling my wife, that's it. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I physically can't do it. You know, it just kills the sinuses. You, have you ever bailed hay, Chris? Uh, I did it one time. Uh, I was, <laughs> I did it uh, at, uh, believe it or not, during uh, a day of uh, scout camp. I was uh, going through the order of uh, the order of arrow, and you had to do 24 hours of of servitude. And the local farmer next to the camp happened to know that every week the camp had that, so he would go over and get five or six scouts and come over there. And sure enough, I was the guy that had to grab the bales and put it on the thing, and it would go all the way up to the top of the to the uh, to the top of the, the barn and then drop it in there and that was my job and somehow I got my shirt caught in that thing and it tore half my shirt off and but it was hot and sweaty and it was miserable and I never wanted to do it again and I'm pretty sure that farmer was like don't ever send that fucking kid over here again <laughs> so and I can relate to him because I mowed the lawn so terrible one time my dad came in the house and was like that's it He's never fucking mowing it again. And my mom's like, why? And he's like, because I'll have a fucking heart attack watching him out there. And so, you know, for several years, my mom had to mow and she was like, this is bullshit. I got a perfectly able 16, 17 year old kid in there. But because you can't handle the stress of watching him, I got to mow the lawn. So no, I, I make my I make my youngest. He's they've all taken turns on the lawnmower and it's a riding lawnmower and I got a small yard. But I'm you know, he. But he rounds the corners. I'm like, what are you doing? You miss, you're missing some. It's a yard. You got a John Deere riding lawnmower and you're missing it. Or, he's, or I, go, I look out there and he's in road gear, you know, and the, and, yeah. or the mower decks up and he doesn't even, he's oblivious to it. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, I'm like, take a little pride. My yard is, you know, I'm, you know, yeah. it's bad on, I got an, you know, agronomic degree. I, I mean, the, the yard should look like yard of the month, you know? And so right. I just, I get, I get a little upset with my kids sometimes and they're like, what's the big deal, dad? You know, I'm like, 
I'll tell you what the big deal is. You know, you have pass in that. That's what's the right. big deal. No, but this is I, some I, serious old man strength conversation. Right, yeah. <laughs> but I, I learned as I grew up and watched him do his job. You know, he worked, uh, he, he hung drywall for years. Uh, and I would watch him go every day and come home and he'd eat dinner and he'd have, you know, stuff all over his face because he had worked yeah, all day and whatever else. And I, I learned as I got older that that's, that's what you do. You, you put in the time and you put in the work, no matter how hard it is. And, 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 you know, there is something to, to, to be said for, for being able to uh, put in a a hard day's work and and feel like you accomplished something. So I get it. That drywall is not an easy business. Uh, A friend of mine and I had a drywall crane, a truck, and we handled all of Menards's drywall for Ankeny coming out of the Ankeny Menards, which is the large, one of the largest Menards for construction supplies. And his two sons helped us. And I'm talking about when you're, you're lumping drywall all day, that is yeah. a, that is not easy. No. And I, uh, we, we had the crane and if you couldn't crane it all the way to the front door and you had to put it on a cart and you had to move it around the house. And I was like, Oh my God, I couldn't, I'm, you know, I'm like, what did we get ourselves into? We thought we we're going to make all this money, you know, yeah. we had this truck, you know, but he, uh, it was he would work, I would work with him during the summer. And most of the time my job was, you know, holding the sheetrock up there on the ceiling while he was bolting that fucker in there. But there'd be times he'd carry full sheets of of it inside by himself. And the man could walk around on stilts like no other. And I was like, I, I, I don't even, I don't even know that I could stand on those, let alone walk around. So it, it's, that's a, that's a skill. I could, I could, I could mud and tape a wall if I had to, if somebody pointed a gun to my head, but. Uh, not near as well as he could, so for sure. Yep. So g- went to Iowa State. Yeah, uh, played for Kreiner. Is that right? Kreiner. Everything was going to yeah. be finer with Kreiner. That was the slogan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we had. I mean, I'm resident to ask, but how did that end? Up? How'd that go? <laughs> with a bunch of NCA allegations and a man's right? fired. Yeah, and then I I was lucky. I had Jim Walden for one year. I and love him. Walden was the nicest guy. The guy was a saint. I had now here I played with him from one spring and then that summer I had a motorcycle wreck and I ripped off my right foot and that was at the end of my playing days. And he still called me. And when I was in the army, I was off at my armor basic course at Fort Knox, Kentucky. And I was a tank platoon leader and Jim Walden called me. I'm like, how did he even know I was there? Well, he called my house, but he wanted to talk to me. I don't remember what it was about. But what a gracious guy. What a great, what a great guy, good human being, you know, and he was a good guy, but you know, Kreiner, he had great talent handed to him. When you look at the years, you know, two years ahead of me, like the other day we did a, we will sampling Sunday, yesterday we did one. And Max, uh, Kevin Eggleston, we call him big Max. Kevin Eggleston came up to it and it was good. Yeah, Yeah. He was a few years older than me. But that generation that came in, they were recruited. A lot of those guys were recruited. Ken Anderson, they were recruited by like Mac Brown and Donnie Duncan. And they had great players, the Bruce Reimers, that era. They had Chris Washington, you know, Dennis Gibson, Greg Butts. There was a lot of great players that came from those generations that was handed to Kreiner. And I, I kind of think if we had a coach maybe like Matt Campbell and he would have had that talent, we would have fared a lot better. And we were still six and five my junior year and without a coach. We went into our last game down at Oklahoma State and lost it by like, I don't know, maybe three or four points. 
And, you know, we lost it. We had Charlie Banker, who the following year won a Super Bowl ring with the Redskins as their special teams coach. So, I mean, we had, you know, I mean, uh, uh, if we would have had our, a coach, you know, I'm thinking maybe we would have been seven right. and four. But I don't, I'm not so sure seven to four would have got you a bowl game back then. But, but we had really good talent. Um, you know, we had, you know, big Jimmy Lubers. I mean, they had, they, they were just some fanatical, really, really good players that I think were NFL type players. Had they, you know, had played in Nebraska or Oklahoma, I think they would have got a lot of guys. We would have put more guys in the NFL than we did, I think. But yeah. So Kreiner was, I don't know. I, you know, I, I was so young. I don't, you know, I don't, the man, you know, I, I don't really have anything against him, but I, it was a revolving door for coaches. We didn't have very good continuity of coaches. And, and Phil Bennett was the defensive. I, I played running back and I played linebacker. I kind of did them both. And I remember Kreiner came in to me and he said, Hey, you got to go be a running back. I'm like, I don't think you understand, coach. I've never ran the ball in my life. And I and I realized what he wanted. He wanted a scout team running back to, you know, a, a big punching bag is what he wanted. But I remember I was talking with Shroggy just today, and he kind of reminded me. I, he said, Chris, that I should tell you and Aaron about uh, there was a guy named Roger McCarron. And, yeah, this is on we, my list to ask you we about. Were, <laughs> uh, we were the only two uh, uh, We were the only two white guys in, in the running back room at the time, you know, and we were both we would take turns being the fullback and tailback, but we would run on the scout team and I would be the tailback. Roger would be the fullback. We'd run an eye formation because we're mimicking Nebraska's offense or somebody like that. But I remember running the, running on the ball and uh, I would get like seven yards against the first team defense. And Phil Bennett would be like, that's seven freaking yards by Creaseman. Run it again. <laughs> and you'd look at big Jimmy Lubers and he's over there just snots coming out of his face. He's pissed because Phil's just riding him. You know, him and Jeff Braswell and, and, and you know, Greg Leiter and Billy Bertheson. You suck. Do it again. Same play. And I'm like, oh, great. So I remember Roger, we, you know, we'd line up and Roger would kind of turn and he'd look around over the shoulder and he goes, oh, my God. He goes, I hope I don't miss my block on big Jimmy Lubers. And you'd look at Lubers and he'd be over there just snorting fire. And I'm like, oh, God, I got to run into that. And he knows where the play's going. And it's just, it was horrible. So Roger got hit one time and he got hit so hard, it collapsed his helmet into his cheek. It bent the, you know, you had the frame that went up around the helmet. It collapsed it into his cheek and he came back to the huddle and he goes, hey, Chris, What's wrong with this picture? I'm like, take your helmet off. He goes, I can't get it off. They had the managers had to unbolt the face mask to get his helmet off his head. He got hit so hard it broke the, you know, I'm, you never see that, you know. But that's him and Pop Jimmy Luber's Pop Everett. We had some really really tough guys, and you talk about a beating. I was telling those kids I had some of the Cyclones yesterday. Um, you had Jalen Noel and. And, uh, you know, uh, Jaden Higgins and all these guys in the offensive line. And I was telling the story about, you know, like how long our practices were. And Kevin was there. Big Max was there. And we were talking about him like, oh, yeah, they'd run us. Practice would be three and a half hours. And they're like, what? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and one day they restarted practice. You had this clock that the uh, equipment guys would have up in the stadiums and they, you know, and as a battering ram on the scout team, you can imagine just how long that practice was. Cause, and I said, we hit every day, we hit Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, and then you'd be in, you, you might be in helmet shoulder pads on Thursdays, but you know, it, there was no Mondays off Sunday was your off day, you know, and you were just trying to get through the week, but 
um, I just remember that with this one practice and we practiced in the stadium. And so you're down on the turf and it's like 120 degrees wet bulb temperature down on the, on the, on the turf. And we ran a three hour practice in this heat and Kreiner was so mad at the offensive line. Everybody was dogging it. He restarted practice and he ran another, about another half of practice. And the offensive linemen were throwing up water. They'd get down in their stance and they, I mean, not one, like four or five of them would bend over and they would all three or four throw up all at once. And Frank Randall, the only humanity I ever saw out of Frank Randall was when he looked at Jim Kreiner and said, Jim, you're going to kill somebody. You need to stop this right now. And that hmm. practice was like four hours. I remember weighing in, I lost like 17 <laughs> pounds and I was, you know, and I was a skinny guy at the time. I mean, I'm a fatty now, but I was a skinny was, guy. At the you time. were, you were like, this is nothing. I bailed. Hey, well, I could, I was, I was, I kind of giggled when the guy started throwing up. I'm like, but, but you were tired. I mean, I was tired. I remember, you know, you'd have a headache, you know, you only had one helmet today. These kids get, they get five helmets, you know, they have right. a practice helmet. You know, I had the same helmet. I was lucky if it had any pads in it, you know, <laughs> you know, you'd go into, you know, to get a jock strap and it'd be broken. And they'd be like, can't you sew it together? You know, can't you tie a knot in it? I mean, it, it was like, in those days, they didn't have the money with the equipment and the clothes and all that stuff. But it was, we had these old equipment guys, you know, you'd get a shoe with a hole in it. And, you know, it was just, it was, you were like a second class citizen if you were a walk on in those days or you were on the scout team. But, and, and that was, you're talking yeah. turf. That was the old Astro turf porch carpet over asphalt. Yeah. Yeah. Porch carpet how, over asphalt. How awful was playing on that? With seams, with seams in it that you trip <laughs> no. over. It was horrible. I, I remember as a running back, Chris Moore was my roommate and number 55 Seymour, we called him. And he, I did an outside play. It was like seven on seven and I ran it and I, I got away from him and he, I hear this, you know, he's running and he runs me down and I kick it into gear, but it's too late. Cause I, it's the end of the play. I'd given up. I was out of bounds and he tackles me and he took me down. I slammed my head on the, on the porch carpet on the asphalt and that's literally what it was it was so thin and i remember i got came up i was cross-eyed i had a concussion you know there were no concussions back in those days you know i was seeing double all the way back to the huddle but that's how hard it was it was just you were playing you might as well play on in a parking lot you know you might as well play practice in a high b parking lot it was just terrible i think all the fields were like that you know, Oklahoma's was field was domed so bad that if you, I remember, I think it was like 85. I think Troy Aikman was still with the Sooners at the time. I remember sitting on the bench and looking across the field and you could only see him from the belly button up because the field was so domed. If you were sitting mm. down and the other guy was sitting down, you couldn't, you know, the field was, you know, and they ran that triple option. It was downhill and around the corner and they were gone, you know? So, but yeah, all the Oops. fields were, some had more pad padding than others, but well, know, I've got wild. I've got some word association here that 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 Keith gave me. Keith uh -oh. Keith really Keith really producing this pod. He gave me all kinds of good. He's good an nuggets. instigator. He's he an enabler. An He's an He's enabler. An he absolutely is. Yeah. That's right. Uh, we've talked about Jim Lubers. How about Jeff Broswell? Bull head, oh, bull cut. He had a he had a haircut that would be like a bull cut. I can't even do it because I'm missing part of my hair, but <laughs> it fell out last week. Seriously. Join the club. <laughs> but it, uh, I should have a hat on, but I don't. But it's okay. That's um, why I'm wearing one. Uh, yeah, Braswell. Uh, 
I don't know how to, uh, he was a good hitter. He'd lean forward, but never listened to the coaches. I had him, I had Braswell in a, <laughs> I had Braswell in a class and the class was human development. And so the teacher gave you an egg. You were supposed to name the egg and you were supposed to take <laughs> care of it like a child for the whole week. <laughs> and we walk out of Carver Hall and here comes Cyride, and he takes his egg and he throws it right into the side of Cyride. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, you're going to get enough, you know. I'm like, you lost your egg. You know, you're going to have to go to the store and buy another one. And he shows up next week. He had a rock, and he had a rock, and he painted a face on it with a Sharpie. And he, <laughs> So his, raw, his egg had turned into a rock. But that's what I think of Brazwell. You know, I think he's kind of a rock head, you know. Uh, <laughs> Good hitter, though. I mean, he was – I, I'm sure this is going to elicit a story, but spring break trips. Oh, boy. Yeah. We took <laughs> we took about 18 guys down to Fort Lauderdale. And I had a roommate that lived with me and Greg Butts and Keith Fulton, and he lived in, and he lived in the basement with me. He was from Fort Lauderdale. So we're going to Fort Lauderdale. And Keith Fulton's dad... His dad was a football coach out in Garden City, Kansas, and but his dad had a Class C camper. It wasn't a very big Class C, probably like 21, 22 footer. And he said, uh, he said, Keith, he says, we'll let you go with us. You go get your camper from your dad. And they put about 15 guys in that thing. There was no place to sit. And when it came back, you know, the tanks were ripped off of the underside of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the air conditioner on the top got ripped off. They went under an underpass that they weren't supposed to be going under or a tree. I mean, this this RV was absolutely trash mm -hmm. when it came back. So you'd have to interview Greg Butts. He's got some better stories with it. But I went, and a friend of mine from Boone, Iowa, named Mike Clemens. Mike doesn't want me probably telling the story, but he pulled a van. And Ken Sandblum and me and Mike and one other guy rode in the van. So we had a van, and we had an RV, and we had about, I think there was like 18 guys. And we show up at this place. We didn't have any hotel rooms or anything like that. We show up on A1A on the Strip. The only place available was a one-bedroom with two double beds, a place called the Hurricane Inn, ran by some Pakistani gun runners. And nobody had any money. And so there's all these guys, and there was like two beds. I don't know who got the beds. I had to sleep in the van. I slept on top of the van for a week. It was horrible. It, but it was one of the funnest spring breaks, and I could go on and on and on. Kirk Thomas was with us, and uh, he passed out. We put him in the closet, and and uh, yeah, it was yeah, but it was fun. It was it was a week of festivities for sure. I'll bet. I'll bet. Um, I'm gonna bring up uh, a couple photos here. That oh um, God, I sent you all kinds of goofy stuff. Well, I? I know, but no, no, I, I'll no. You can't keep those out. Up. Yeah, I've got them. I've got them. But we'll see what we can bring. They're going to show up when you're least expecting. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Let me bring this over. Sorry, I'm not a very good producer on this. I don't know what I'm doing. This is this is it's great. Also, why you couldn't bail hay for more than one day? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Hey, man, that shit was hard. So I used to do uh, it in a t-shirt. I didn't. Even cover my arms. It was jeans yeah. and a t-shirt. I don't need to. I don't your need arms, that image. Your arms at are all, all scratched up. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Uh, let's take a break. Right. Let's let's take a break. All right. We'll get a break from our uh, from our sponsor, Revelton Distilling Company, and Gravitate Coworking. And then when we come back, we'll we'll show some of these pictures. And then I want to dive into uh, 
into uh, your decision uh, to go into the military. So uh, okay. we'll be right back. Why take the best corn in the world and make it into fuel when you could make it into whiskey? That's the question that launched Revelton, Iowa's most visible and fastest growing distillery. Owners Rob and Christy Taylor embrace the grain-to-glass philosophy, sourcing ingredients locally and overseeing on-premises production and bottling at their facility in Osceola. One sip and you'll agree that Revelton's handcrafted whiskeys, gins, and vodkas are the best you've ever tasted. And with the launch of their rye whiskey, made with 100% Iowa-grown rye and corn, and their new bourbon coming soon, there's more Revelton to love than ever. Iowa's own Revelton Distillery. ReveltonDistillery.com The great thing about working from home is working from home. The worst thing is working from home, especially for face-to-face collaborations with customers and coworkers. And let's face it, coffee shop meetings are neither private nor professional. So skip the trip to Starbs and investigate Gravitate Coworking Space. For more than 10 years, Gravitate has provided large and small office and conference spaces, perfect for hosting meetings, workshops, or other events, as well as private phone booths for confidential conversations. Plus, all spaces include secure fiber internet, free coffee, and access to a kitchenette. All you need is your laptop. Gravitate does the rest. And renting space at Gravitate is surprisingly affordable. An hour of office space costs about the same as venti caramel macchiatos and breakfast sandwiches for two. Daily and monthly rates are also available with no long-term commitment. Learn more at GravitateCoworking.com. That's GravitateCoworking.com. And we're back, but Chris is still on mute. (laughs) This... I hate this computer that I have. It's absolutely slow. I need a new one. I can't even get it to bring this uh, this share, screen share up. So I'm going to oh, do this. You know they sell new computers at a store, right? I'm aware of that, but I'm poor. So we'll do it the old school way. Tell me about the guys in this photo. <laughs> All right. Hold it still. Oh, from the right, you have uh, Greg Butts. I'm the big fat guy. What looks like a lemon. And then you have... Uh, I think Yak's in there, Steve Cromey, the crowbar from Chicago, Billy McHugh, uh, Jeff Hansel, and I think Todd Oxley might be in there. Yeah, Todd Oxley's in there. I think Roger McCarron's in there. Um, Ken Anderson, maybe. Okay. But yeah. So that's best, just a tailgate. Yeah. Yep. Best story about any of those guys? Oh God! Uh, I can't tell me if I told the one that Max told me the other day, but uh, <laughs> no, uh, that's the yeah, kind of breaking news we're looking for, Tim. Oh boy, <laughs> there, there was Kevin Eggleston's from Memphis, Missouri, right? And he's six eight, six nine. He's a huge man. He was a great offensive lineman, and his his uh, I call it a partner in crime for lack of a better word was Mike Roberts from Eldon, Iowa. And they called him Cletus. So it's Cletus and Max and they were to the right side of the line. But Kent was, you know, Kent's a pretty guy, you know, he's a good looking guy. And uh, Kent was the Davis County relays. Max was telling me about it. And he said, 
he goes, you know, the fat guys, he goes, me and Cletus were over there throwing the shot put in the discus. And then all of a sudden, he said, uh, they started playing this music. They, they held us up. They said, stop throwing. And all of a sudden, this this music from, you know, Ric Flair type music started playing. <laughs> Kent's walking into the stadium, you know, with in the way Max would tell it. He says, oh, the, the fans were on him and his golden locks of blonde hair were blowing in the wind as all the track moms were staring at him and applauding. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, the cheerleaders and everybody was all the girls track teams were going wild for Kent, you know, as he walked in. And there was this the smoke machine was putting out smoke and. Of course, Cletus thought it was a barbecue, and uh, I had to tell Cletus, no, it's not a barbecue. It's this just for Kent's entrance, you know. And then Kent was probably, you know, and, and Kent was like, that's not true. That's not true. And, and Max is like, it is true. And so it's kind of, it was kind of a funny story to hear those guys tell that story. And guys like, you know, myself and Roger McCarron and John Smith, we we used to hear those stories in the locker room, and we just start laughing. You'd laugh so hard you're crying when those guys would tell that story. Uh, they were just funny. I mean, they were just really, really funny guys. We had a we had great personalities on our football team in the '80s. We had great people, you know, and they were they were funny. But Max and Cletus, they would they would throw shade on anybody, you know, and it was it was funny. And Kevin's but, chiming in says it's awesome. I Kevin's a good man. Yeah. I met him yeah. once, uh, yeah. uh, so I, I'm I look forward to to getting a chance to sit down with him too. So. Uh, let's kind of transition a little bit and move into, uh, so after college said you hurt your, you had a motorcycle accident, hurt your foot that ended your playing career. Um, but then you, did you go into the military right after college or or when did that come Uh, come in in 1990? I, I wanted to fly. I had learned to fly through Iowa state. They picked up my lab fees. And so I got my private pilot's license through Iowa State, you know, small plane. So I, I thought I'd like to fly and I always wanted to serve in the military. I thought that would be a good career. So I wanted to fly a jet. Well, the Marine Corps was the only one that would guarantee you flight school, period. Anybody else that was on the 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 merit on the merits of your abilities and stuff. So people would you could join the army, you could join the Air Force, and you would not be guaranteed a seat in flight school. The Marine Corps was different. So I joined I went into the Marine Corps and I went off to basic training and was getting all the way through that. And I we had to go through a medical review and I had a bad foot. I had a skin graft on my foot and a Navy doctor, I'll never forget, he's a little Filipino looking guy. My captain calls me over and looks at my foot and he goes, we're breaking your contract. You're done, we're sending you out. He goes, or you could reclass into the infantry. And I'm like, well, I don't wanna, if I can't, how can I be in the Marine Corps infantry and I can't sit in a cockpit? Right. F-18. F-18 was the new jet. That was the new sexy jet, you know, top gun. We weren't too many from that. So everybody wanted to be a jet jockey and fly. And I thought that's what I wanted to do. So anyway, so that was the end of that deal. So I was back out and they threw me out, but they didn't put anything in my file saying I couldn't be in the military. So fast forward a few years later, a friend of mine was in uh, special operations at Fort Bragg and he came back. He was getting out of the army, but he wanted to just be in the national guard and he wanted to go become an officer. So he goes, Hey, I want to join the Iowa state ROTC program and get a degree. How do I do it? I said, well, I'll show you where the building is. I'll take you over to where the ROTCs added Iowa state at the armory. So I took him over to it. So while I'm in there, the Colonel starts talking to me. He goes, why don't you join? I said, well, you know, I already 
kind of started down this path and I said, I had foot and he goes, well, do, do the medical if they pass you and you can do the PT and I could, uh, you know, we'll accept you if you want to do it. So then I went into the Iowa national guard at the time, the commander of the unit that I went into was classmates of my older brother. He eventually became the adjutant general, uh, major general Tim Orr. And so he was the commander of our unit. And so, and he'd always told me that, Hey, if you ever get in, I'd love to have you in my unit. And so sure enough, I went through ROTC. I enrolled working on my master's degree at Iowa state in agriculture. And I went through ROTC and worked a full-time job and, and voila commissioned and then got in the Iowa national guard and commissioned in May of 2001 and the first of the 113th Cav. So, and that was the unit I stayed with and retired as a major in 2013. So had two deployments, went to Kosovo in 2003. And it was kind of funny, a, a good friend of mine, Dave Updegraff, was our battlefield commander in Afghanistan. He was a bird colonel, probably would have been a one star if had he stayed in. Uh, he was saying he went to the war college and they were teaching the riots of Kosovo in 2004. St. Patrick's Day, 2004, I don't know where you guys were at, but I was getting pummeled. I was getting my ass kicked by 50,000 mm. pissed off Albanians in this town called Jalan. And there was probably 60,000 people rioting. And I'm not talking Visha riots. I'm talking hardcore people getting hammers put in the back of their head. And it was a weird day when that started in 2004. We had a West Pointer that came to our our forward operating base, our FOB, it was uh, uh, Monteith, Camp Monteith. It's not even there anymore, it's bulldozed. You had two camps in Kosovo, you had Camp Bonsteel, you had Camp Monteith. I was at Monteith, a smaller one. It was just just our squadron was at it, our whole squadron went. I was a scout platoon leader. I had taken this captain from West Point and his cadet, who had happened to come from Nebraska. We, I, we put him in Humvees, we took him around and showed him the country, you know. It's kind of peaceful, not a lot going on. We get back about 2.33 in the afternoon, and I get a call from my my captain, my commander, saying, hey, Jeff Perrin, a friend of mine, is trapped at the uh, Serbian church, and it's on fire. And his soldiers had been awarded the Soldiers Medal for their actions at that church. They went and pulled out families that were in this burning huge cathedral of a church. And you had the ethnic Albanians and the ethnic Serbs, they were fighting in Kosovo and it was the we, they civil war type tug of war. And we were there to enforce UN resolution 1244. So I go there to get Jeff and I get there and the church is on fire and there's people everywhere, you know, in the downtown. And then I get a call from our task force commander Red Horse commander that said, hey, you got to go rescue 200 UN workers. Their building, their four-story building is just getting mobbed. And so we had to push through the crowd and the streets were wall-to-wall people. It was like Mardi Gras. So we had soldiers in front of the Humvees pushing the crowds out of the way as we navigated to this downtown area called Jalan or Jelani. I don't know how you pronounce it. And it's a town of about 150,000 people. It's a pretty big town. And they had, everybody was on the streets and these UN workers were trapped inside this UN building. And they're across the intersection, if you will, was a police station, the local police station, police were nowhere to be had. So we set up a perimeter and we blocked off the streets and put razor wire out and had soldiers and everybody went red on their weapons. And I mean, it was a hostile, they were throwing Molotovs. We had probably 
20 to 22 cars that had caught fire inside our perimeter and had exploded. One of them knocked me back and took my Kevlar off my head. You know, when it carburetor blew up, gas tank, whatever it was, it was a pretty good explosion. They were pummeling us with rocks. There was gunfire, nothing really directly at us, but it was a huge deal. And I guess they teach this. My colonel was telling me, he goes, yeah, they teach this at the war college. I said, well, hell, I should go to the war college and teach this. Hell, I know about it. You know, I was there, mm -hmm. you know, I had a front row seat. Right. So, but that was, that was, that was Kosovo, you know, and that's the way the country was. We were there. There was today, it's kind of a peacekeeping, you know, I don't even know if it's still considered a hostile fire zone, but when we were there, it was fairly fresh out of the Balkan war where they had the mass killings and just all that stuff going mm -hmm. down. People would get murdered, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. Cause <clears throat> I don't know very many people that were in the military that went to Kosovo, but it was a guard my brother mission. did. Oh yeah. Yeah. My brother was in the army and he was over there. I think it was shortly after when you were there, the way it sounds, but he was there as a helicopter mechanic mm. and he was a yeah. guard, a guard okay. unit that got sent over for like, I don't know, eight or 10 months or something like that. He was there for a while. They had like our, Pilots were bush pilots from Alaska or Black Hawk pilots, and they were good. They could set you down up on the top of a mountain in the middle of nowhere. And when that helicopter took off, if you had to patrol an administrative boundary line, that helicopter took off. That was a lonely feeling when you're up there all by yourself. But but um, we had, I think we had, a, we had an Apache pilot that was killed the rotation ahead of us. But how the guard gets in a lot of these missions, like the Sinai mission or the Horn of Africa mission, is the active duty army when Iraq kicked off, there goes the active duty army. They go into Iraq and Afghanistan. And so they, they get the, the A game and who does these peacekeeping missions like the Sinai mission, which people, a lot of people don't even know we got troops in Egypt, you know, monitoring the whole Sinai mission. And that, that gets handed down to the guard. And then when there's no more wars in the fight, then the active military kind of takes it over. But I think Kosovo is like a partner state, I think, with the Iowa Guard. And so, you know, we've always had, you know, we've had a lot of rotations that have gone through there. And but you follow, you know, a different National Guard. Like when we went into uh, Afghanistan in 2010 during the surge, our brigade, our whole brigade went, the whole state of Iowa, which is 2nd Brigade of the 34th Infantry Division, that whole brigade augmented the 101st Division and replace their fourth brigade that didn't make it. So when that 101st goes, they'll have first brigade, second brigade, third brigade, and then the Iowa guard would be their fourth brigade. And you own battle space and you know, you're just, you're their part of their division. So. And then time in Afghanistan, when, when, when did you go to Afghanistan? What were you? 2000, what, what did you 2010 do? through okay. 2011, because we were there over the holidays. Um, and then, yeah, and then we came back. The deployments are always a year for the guard. Some of the, I was talking to a guy who was in a ranger bat and he goes, you know, yeah, we get 90 day deployments and the air force gets 90 day deployments. I said, well, not, not the regular guys, they get a year, you know? So it, that's a, that's kind of a suck for the families, you know? And um, so we, I went there then, and it was during the surge, we were at Bagram airfield. And then we had outlier forward operating bases that were in the, our squadron um there was one called police syed and one called red hill and i don't even know if they're functioning today well they're obviously not functioning today but uh how during the surge we had i think bogram airfield had about seventy thousand personnel on it between 
SEAL teams. I was there when Bin Laden went down. Uh, our human team girl actually got pulled over into that mission. We didn't know it at the time. Her name was uh, Lenny, and she would come into our office and she'd say, oh, I, I'm not going to work with you anymore, Captain Creaseman. I'm, I'm sorry to say I have to work at the next compound over. Well, the next compound over from ours was, it's just a fenced in area. We called it the spook compound. It's where the CIA and the SEALs and Rangers and all these different guys worked. And then there was a special forces compound. Fifth group special forces was right next to our headquarters building too, where we all lived. You had an area, you had these little metal huts that you lived in, you know, with plywood floors. And that was your home for a year. And uh, then everybody had their own little compound, their own little space. But we were battle space owners. So fifth group, they operated in our battle space. And sometimes we'd send QRF guys, a platoon of guys to be QRF for them. And that's kind of the way the whole mission went. But we were in the north. We had, I think, uh, Chris, I sent you a picture of our MRAPs up in the mountains. We would operate higher than Pikes Peak. You know, you'd go up, there's no trees, it's just snow. It's the middle of July and there's snow up in the mountains, you know, it was, the air was thin, you know, and if you did a dismounted patrol, you know, you were wearing 144 pounds of gear on you. You know, it was for me, for a, a fat older guy, you know, it was, you know, you, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you, everything start closing in and getting dark on you. You know, you can get enough oxygen sometimes when you do a dismounted patrol, but. That's rough. So, yeah. Um. So what we're gonna what we'll do is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with our Wintrust mortgage question. Then we're gonna take a break in here, sponsorship okay. here, and then when we come back, you can answer that question. And then we'll transition into talking about what you're doing now and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, um, I'm gonna go with a little bit of a variation on the question that we've asked in a lot of other times. Um, but. If you could talk to, I'm going to say your 16-year-old self. If you could go back, talk to your 16-year-old self, what would you tell yourself? So think about that. We're going to take this break, and then we'll get your answer when we come back. Okay. Are you in the market for a new house and unsure of the mortgage process? Want to know that you have someone looking out for you? Kyle Lehman from Wintrust Mortgage is a down-to-earth, knowledgeable lender who can be there for you in your corner. He can work with you in any of the 50 states and is just what you need to expand your home search. Kyle will work with you through the entire process with little to no work from you. Take the worry of the mortgage process out of the equation so that you can focus on looking for your dream home. Contact Kyle at www.wintrust.com forward slash Kyle dash Lehman or call him at 515-473-0546. All right, so we're back. And obviously the guys that are following along here, Denny, uh, thanking you for your service. And of course, Chris and I and everybody uh echo that sentiment but uh we asked you the question from Wintrust, 16 year old self if you could talk to yourself what would you tell yourself one i'd say stay off a motorcycle take care better care of yourself uh for me personally but you know i i think i i kind of tell my kids this you know work hard save your money don't live like there's no tomorrow um i just you know i don't know i i don't know if i'd do anything different in my life because i had a hell of a lot of fun 
you know, and I, I, I got to do a lot of things. I've got to achieve almost every goal I ever wanted in life. So I don't know what I would tell myself. I, I think I would work harder at school. I'd pay, I'd, I'd, I don't know why I'd need better grades, but I think I would apply myself a little bit more uh, as far as school goes. And I think I would plan for my future a little bit better as far as career wise. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd do anything any different because I'd be faced with the same set of circumstances. My mother asked my sister and she's got a PhD from Iowa state, Dr. Dodge, but she said the same thing. If you could go back in life and do anything over different, would you do any different? And my sister's answer was hell no, I wouldn't because I'd be faced with the same set of circumstances I had the first time. So I would do it exactly the way I did it, you know? So I'm like, wow, that's kind of interesting. But I think if I had hindsight, I think I would, uh, I don't know if I would save more money, not do the frivolous things that I've did in life, you know, maybe, uh, I, I, I would be, a, I wouldn't throw caution to the wind physically. Like I, when I was young, I would ride a motorcycle a hundred miles an hour, you know, and not think about what happens if you fall off of it. So, you know, maybe I'd have that hindsight, but that that's just stuff that comes with age, I think. So I don't know that I would do it much different. I don't know. Take better care of my body. I think that would be the biggest one. I would tell myself, hey, you're going to get old soon enough. Don't take better care of your body. No need to hurry. <laughs> yeah. Don't rush the process. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. I always, I always joke. I'm like, I didn't think I'd live this long. So that's why I lived the way I lived. But <laughs> it's like, you know, I didn't plan. I didn't plan for this, but you got to plan for it. Now, you know, the aches and pains and, you know, I live down at the VA hospital, it seems like. So, you know, for everything. So. That's probably it. Well, that's a it's a great answer because obviously you are who you are. So if you're, yeah, you know, basically what you're saying is, if you're faced with the same decisions, you'd make end up making the same decisions probably. Yeah. So I mean, that's a hundred percent accurate. So um, let's get into um, what you're doing now. Most specifically, let's talk about uh, your pizzas and okay. we will and how that happened. Um, so. You have a pizza company. Yeah. It's called Cressman Foods, right? Yeah, Cressman Foods. Well, Cressman Foods is kind of a history in itself. It, it came out of when when I was in the 90s, I worked for my dad, which was Randy's Meats. And I drove a delivery truck and I sold <laughs> the food. And so I ran a route truck. And he ran, I don't know how many trucks he ran out of the, out of the Iowa plant. But he had uh, interest in the Iowa plant and the Minnesota plant. When my brother graduated from college, he went right to Minnesota and bought out a relative and went to work in the Minnesota plant and owned it and operated it. And and in those days, we were grinding meat. We were making hamburger patties and seasoned grilled steaks, pizza burgers, breaded stuff. We had a breading line. And so we were basically a, a meat company that ground meat, ground beef, that whole nine yards. And we processed some stuff for fairways. And um, then in 90, about 98... My brother bought, uh, brought my, bought my dad and my cousin Ray, Greg, he bought them out of business. And so he had both plants and he couldn't keep up with both of them, you know, running Minnesota and running Iowa and going back and forth. And there was really no supervision of us. And so he eventually made a deal with the devil. I said, you know, and he, he sold out. 
to Farner Bakken and I don't know what kind of deal he made, but that was the end of Randy's Meats and Bone. So that's when Creaseman Foods came <laughs> about because I'm like, I'm now out of a job. I'm like, well, I know all my customers. They all love me. I, I can do this. And he still has this empty building that I'll rent from my brother and I'll just start Creaseman Foods. So that's why I started Creaseman Foods. So that was in about 98. Well, in 2001, 9-11 happened. And then in, in those days, I was in the process of kind of merging with a, a company that's called Northern Lights out of Fort Dodge, Iowa. And so we were really good in the frozen. He was really good in the dry goods, had a beer distributorship. So we were kind of coming together as a as one company. And then I had to go to Kosovo. And then I, you know, and so when I was in Kosovo, a lot of things happened. You know, my drivers were fired or quit. My sales guy you know, was fired and quit. So nobody was really running my end of the company um, at the time. So, and John Deere had reached out to me. I don't know how, but they had, they were looking for help. They were looking for team leaders. And so I, John Deere reached out to me and, you know, you're looking for employment. So I reached out to them and I thought, well, maybe it'd be great to switch gears and get out of the food business. I've been in it for quite a few years and get into something that I really liked, which is farm equipment and farming. And so I thought that would be a natural fit. So when I came back, I was going to have to invest a lot of money that I didn't have to kind of get Creaseman Foods customers back. You know, I had Hickory Park, bought stuff off me, Dublin Bay and Ames, all these great restaurants, Wallabies, great, great uh, restaurants that I had. And we had built a relationship. Well, when I was overseas, prices were raised, you know, people got pissed off. They quit buying from us. <clears throat> when I came back, I'd have to resurrect Creaseman Foods. So I started at John Deere. So that's what kind of started that. And then I could kind of just tabled Creaseman Foods. When I got back from Afghanistan in 2012, I was injured. I had a tour rotator cuff that needed surgical intervention when I got back. So I landed at Fort Riley. They said, you can go home and have this done. You don't have to have it done here by a doctor, you know, a hack here. You can have your own surgeon do it. Went back to Ames. Tom Greenwald, Dr. Greenwald from um, uh, McFarland Clinic operated on my shoulder. And so while I was doing it, I went up and saw my brother. I hadn't seen him for a while. And he gives me three cases of frozen pizzas, new varieties, new crust, new whatever. And I, I had been selling his pizza under the Randy's meat label for years. Well, now he had a, you know, he had advanced the company. And by this time he had quit grinding meat. He just made frozen pizzas because he got so busy manufacturing them for other people. So I brought some back and I stopped at the fairway store in Ankeny. A friend of mine, Doug Hoagland, owned it or owned it, managed it and runs it. And I and his marketing manager from Fairway was in there and the assistant manager. And I I gave him some pieces. I said, hey, try these. You know, I, I don't have freezer space for them all. So I gave them to him. And then I took what I wanted and I came home. Well, they tried them. They cooked them up there at Fairway and they liked them. They said, hey, we should sell these in their stores. So voila. So Creaseman Foods was kind of resurrected. And so. I was selling pizzas in some fairways and high V's in central <laughs> Iowa while I was waiting to get refratted off the active duty rules. So the shoulder got better and the army doesn't do anything in a hurry. So it takes, it's a, pro, <laughs> it's a process to get out to what they call refratting. And so while I was refratting, I'm selling pizzas, driving the semi around, delivering pizzas and pulling pallets off and selling pizzas to these stores. And they went pretty well. But at, at, then John Deere sends me a letter saying, hey, are you coming back to work? You know, it had been four years. I'd been gone. <clears throat> I had John Deere for four years. They're like, are you coming back? Yeah, I got to come back. So then I couldn't keep up with it. So I kept up with a couple of fairways, the North Ames store, the the Boone store I had. I think the, the South Ankeny store was Doug Hoagland. I can't say enough about that guy. 
that guy is a phenomenal manager and a phenomenal good guy. He's a good friend. I've known him my whole life. And he uh, I will is, I will great. jump in there. My my two sons went to Strive Academy. They have special needs at, at DMAC. And part of their program was working at that particular fairway. With and they for Doug. Yeah. And they loved it. Yeah. He's he's a wonderful manager. But anyway, so he kept and I carried three different flavors. I carried Creaseman Foods, which is my own uh label i don't have anything here it says creaseman foods i'd show it to you but um and then i also carried other companies there was a picasso uh brand there was um uh, firehouse which was out of bloomington bob hannah owns the firehouse <laughs> brand firehouse was he would sell hundred millions of dollars of these firehouses up in north and south dakota up in the oil sand fields where you have a bar, they'd take like 60 cases a week at one little bar. I mean, that's a lot of pizzas, you know, for the, for the oil workers. But so, you know, so I'd carry a couple labels. So Doug sold those for years and the other, a couple other stores I, I kept in touch with that I sold. And then we will happened and Colonel Updegraff who lives in Wakanda, Illinois, um, was talking to Brett Bloom at we will and said, Hey, you need to, you should call Brent, you should sell pizzas and you can take a proceeds of the pizzas and donate them. And the methodology behind it was most Cyclone fans aren't going to write a check for $5,000 to We Will, you know, or to right. Iowa State. You know, most, most people, but everybody has a dollar. Everybody has a dollar. Right. And, it's for, and if the pizza's good and they would buy the pizza, say it's a $7 pizza, $6 pizza. And you're like, hey, I need another dollar. And the people are going to be like, okay, I can give you a dollar. A dollar's fine. It goes for a good cause. And so we just took the We Will logo. Brent Blum has been phenomenal. And Crystal Blum have been phenomenal to work with. And, and uh, you know, Derek Hudger at Iowa State, all these coaches have been great. I mean, they're just, just, it's been a great relationship. So we started this here about a month ago. It took, it took like three months to get the labeling and get approval. And the pieces sure. are made in Faribault, Minnesota, <laughs> in a USDA inspected plant. So a lot of things got to go through USDA and labeling and stuff like that. So, uh, and then we started doing it and it has the reception. So the first store was Hoagland, Doug's store, Chris, and he sold, Four almost 500 pizzas in about 17 days. It was it changed his category. That's his crazy. Prof, his profitability with that one category, he out he was more profitable than his produce. So I mean, he was it was an impact. Yeah. So it took off, and I knew it was going to sell at that point. And then the high V's started putting them in, and they put them in at a at an alarming rate, and they're having success. And it's the Cyclone fans. You right. know, which you two are, you know, support and all that stuff. It's that's what makes the difference. And these Cyclone fans have turned out and have supported the We Will Pizza and We Will at a tremendous rate. And it's growing more and more every day. It's just it's blossomed into this. And I don't get anything for it. I mean, we cover a little bit on the trucking end. We make the We Will pay for it. And but they they get a dollar off each pizza. And that's that's the game. And that's how it works. And it's for a good cause, and it goes to support athletes and their families. And it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful cause, really. I mean, NIL's changing so much. You know, it's it's becoming a horrible thing in itself. I don't think any of these coaches like the NF, the NIL, but it is what it is, and it's today's today's you know economy. And you know the 
you know, I, I liked what one of the players, I don't remember which one it was, his family was from Florida and he had not, the family had not gotten up here to see him play. Well, the We Will Collective was able to help buy a plane ticket, hotel room, maybe an Iowa State shirt, you know, to help facilitate that. Sure. So, you know, the money goes for a good cause. I mean, the money isn't just, we're not just paying players, I don't think. Um, I just, I think it's, it just, it benefits Iowa State. And I think you're seeing it on the playing surface. You see it in basketball, you see it in football, and it's because of the fans, you know. Cyclone fans are the best, most loyal, best fans in the country. And that's, you know, it's too bad there's not more of them, you know, because it's a, you know, that's my, but that's how, that's how the We Will started. And so it was just kind of a continuation. Now it's becoming very, very busy for me now, you know, because I work at John Deere still and I farm and then I, I do the pizzas and, you know, so now I'm getting more busier than I've ever been, but, but it's for a good cause. And, and, uh, and, and Brett Bloom has done a, and Crystal both have done a phenomenal job. Yeah, I've I've done some volunteering with them and done some, a couple events with them, and and uh, I I can't imagine a better set of people in charge of uh, of the We Will Collective more than Brent and Crystal. And Brent Brent says this all the time whenever he gets a chance. He's, you know, we don't have we don't have a Boone Pickens who can you know an oil t- right. tycoon who can write a big check, but we got plenty of Cyclone fans that can drink beer and, and eat a lot of pizza and. And I, I mean, it's easy for me to, 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 to give $25 a month, but then there'll be times where I, we're watching a game or whatever and something cool happens and I'll, I'll be like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to Venmo, I'm going to Venmo this, you know, what the score is of the women's game. If they upset this Kansas state, who's with me. And next thing you know, he's got two or $3,000 yeah. uh, because somebody started something like, not just me, but I mean, I, other people have done that too. That's yeah. the spirit of the Cyclone fans, honestly, is, is, is stuff like that. You see it, you know, I, and these players have been so gracious with their time. We had 14 or 15 of them, 16 of mm-hmm. them, and even the old guys, Remsburg, and you got Colin Newell that, you know, and, and these guys, and Sean Foster, all these guys that, that and now you have Grant Triber who's going to graduate. And Remsburg's done now, you know, playing, but they still come and will help out and they will help call these guys. And you have a a kid named Tyler Miller, you know, number 66 in your program, number one in your heart and Jared Hufford and uh, Dylan Barrett from Wisconsin. He's new, but he lives, you know, he lives with other offensive linemen. Those guys are like, hey, Crease Dog, give me your number. I'm like, hey, you guys want to do a pizza demo for We Will? Yeah. And they show up. Well, who, could we get a tight end? Well, yeah, we had Gabe Burkle, you know, Rocco, Rocco, <laughs> you know, he's a starting quarterback and he is so good with the kids and the public and he, he smiles and he's, and they're pleasant. And they go to these, uh, these demos that we've had, we've had two of them now at two high V's and the turnout's been phenomenal. And there's, they sign posters, they sign hats, footballs, all this stuff. And they come there and they're willing to do it. And they represent Iowa state. And it's really a credit to Matt Campbell. And and Hoodger and these guys that recruit these kids because they are like Brock Purdy's. They're like very large Brock Purdy's. Humble, polite, nice, friendly. Uh, not a bit of arrogance in them. Even the really good ones, you know that you know you you see these you know wide receivers are great. Higgins, uh, we had him at, the, at wonderful kids, you know. And I just I, I it really opened my eyes, you know, when you meet them. 
And you know, it kind of started with the offensive lineman because I was a mentor for Grant Triber this last year. And I kind of got in the mentorship program. Lindsay Long called me. And, and so then I started, you know, kids, I had, I had Charlie Kohler and Mike Rose at first. And well, they're mechanical engineers. So I bring them to John Deere. I introduce them. Well, Charlie goes on. He's in the NFL and Mike's still playing professional football. So can't help him. But then Sean Foster comes along. He's not going to play pro football. Right. And so we get him a job at John Deere and he's knocking it out of the park and doing great things at John Deere. And we got him in and that was a huge success story. You know, he'll, he's does wonderful things. They got Connor Sally, the kicker. He works at John Deere. He only sits a couple of chairs away from me. And so I see him and he's doing wonderful things there. So you have, you know, you got, so I, I, I joke with our factory manager in our management team, our operations team that I said, when I'm done with John Deere, we'll have the biggest and the strongest and the toughest factory. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I said, we'll win any intramural event that, you know, you put one factory against the other. We'll, we're going to, we're going to kick some ass, you know? So, cause I, you know, foster six, eight, but, right. but no know, kidding, but they're, but they're, you know, they're high, you know, Triber and these guys, they got mechanical engineering. We didn't have, I don't remember too many engineers back when I played because the, the requirements and these kids are coming out with two and three college degrees and and certificates in leadership and all this other stuff and they were uh you know i i one of the managers at at john Deere was like well i don't know if sean should come into being a team leader right away because you know that's not an introductory position you need to you know that's kind of a high 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 position there at john Deere. and i'm like he was the captain he was a two-year right. captain corralling 120 players I don't know how many captains that Matt Campbell has on his team, but I'm like, you have to have, you have to have some people skills and some ability. If you were, I said, trust me, I'm the only one in this factory. One of the few guys in this factory that played football at Iowa state and worked here at John Deere. And I will tell you that this kid and a lot of these kids that Matt Campbell has are definitely qualified to be here. Now John Deere's doing a recruiting event. I think this weekend in another week, two weeks, they're doing a recruiting event in the Sukup end zone. They will be there trying to cultivate some of these guys because they're high quality guys you know they're not only good football players but boy they're high quality guys i can't say enough about them you that's, know that's so. really awesome yeah. i do i do want to know when they do the pizza demo things how many pizzas does that cost you <laughs> if you have four offensive linemen and a tight end well, they how much them. demoing yeah. is getting done <laughs> well high v or fairway and we're gonna we'll be doing one with Southside fairway here um you know they they get it across the scale so it's a sell for them but you're right yeah. they can put away the pizza <laughs> and they like them all it doesn't matter if you have a garlic cheese out there if you have a cheeseburger they eat it and the pizza is 12 inch pizza it just disappears but yeah. they like it and they when the first one we did at the south side high v they were the guy the cook came out of the kitchen and they were cooking them in the kitchen for us very gracious people at high v love them anyway they came out and they <laughs> they were gonna throw it away it got cold and i think it was like remsburg or somebody said oh or hufford oh don't 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 throw that away and they started grabbing the little squares <laughs> and throwing them in and they they cleaned off the plate i'm like well that didn't go to waste so we you don't waste anything yeah. you waste nothing right. when you cook one of those you try to get it hot and you try to get it to the customers the little old ladies the grandmothers coming by it was kind of funny because remsburg's grandmother came by and it was great to see that interaction you know mm. i mean just the way these guys interact with the public is just a it's just a really positive thing. It's this we will thing has turned out better than I thought it would. And the, I, the football players that help. I've uh, 
I, I've told this story before that uh, the, the, Matt Campbell does a victory day every year where he uh, brings in 60 or 70 special needs kids, pairs them up with, with a football player. They run plays. They, you know, they, they really go out for these kids. And my boys did it probably two or three years in a row. And Connor was actually one of their, one of their partners one year. So we kind of got to know Connor and whatever, but that's the beautiful thing about, I think what we will does is they do it a little different. Um, because they do bring these kids, these guys into the community. And, and, and I think that that exposes them to, to so many different memories and things like that, that the quality and the character of the men that Matt Campbell recruits, uh, then allows them to go into places like John Deere or whatever and, and absolutely kill it because not only are they smart, but they're, they have good character and, and good values. Good values, good people skills. And and I, I have a picture. I should have sent it to you, Chris, but it's uh, Jared Hufford. Now, if you see this guy, he's intimidating. And you could, if he had a white T-shirt on, you could show a picture on his back, a movie on his back. He is, he is very broad, very muscly, very strong. And But you see this huge guy bend down to this little tiny girl, this little blonde-haired girl. She had her hand up, and they were high-fiving. And I, I just happened to stand behind him, and I snapped a picture of it. And that, in essence, is really what, what these players epitomize in the, in the community with, with people. And it's not easy to be a young kid, you know, to be a 20, 22, 23 year old kid. And, you know, and you know, you, you play football, you get clothes and shoes and, you know, you're on TV and there's NIL and there's all this stuff. And, and uh, you know, like Rocco, you know, the demand for his time. Yeah. Uh, And he comes out, he's done two of them now and he's, it's just the quality of kids. You know, I just think that they, that they are, I don't, I don't know if Texas or these, I don't know how Notre Dame or any of these other schools do it, but you know, and I've been so removed from college football for so many years, but boy, it's refreshing to know if you're a Cyclone fan, you can be proud of what you have out there on the field, win, lose, or draw at the end of the day, you have high quality, high character kids and you know, that's a credit to Matt and his staff and his coaches and Jamie Pollard and the whole, you know, it's the whole thing. You know, it's just a really, it's, you know, which is why I think all its old guys gravitate to it. You know, we made enduring friendships, you know, but, you know, you, how can you not support, you know, the, the quality of players that we have? Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I think you see that not only with the football staff, but TJ, I think, does a good job with that in the basketball staff, too. Yeah. Um, those guys are involved. Obviously, Coach Finley's a, a legend, and you know, all the kids there yeah. are nice, good kids that are out doing stuff in the community. So yeah, I think that's the maybe unforeseen benefit of the NIL thing, you know, that you know, it gives people an opportunity to meet and see the athletes outside of the arena. Well, um, I don't think the think NIL I don't think they hand, you know, and I don't know how the NIL works at Iowa State. I'm not in that inner workings, and I don't profess to even understand how it works at other universities. But I, I, the impression that I get is no money is handed to these kids without doing something for it. You know, gotcha. these kids, these kids need to show up and support the community and the, the special needs or whatever. They need to be in the community doing community type things, uh, you know, to 
to get anything out of it. But, you know, the camps that they touch with kids and, and, and the community, the little old ladies, the grandmothers that shop at these stores, it's just a real treat to have those, those guys do that for We Will. And that, that sells a lot of pizzas. That'll, that'll sell like 18 cases of pizza. It'll sell about 300 pizzas in about three, four hours having those wow. guys at a store. Well, That's the impact that it has. I, I, I told you, I, I, I talked to the fairway manager here in Norwalk and I was told, quote, <laughs> corporate told him he couldn't sell it here. So I sent something to Brent and Brent said pretty soon he's not going to have a choice. So, uh, but I'll make the trek. I'll make the trek to the oh. South Ankeny one and get some uh, again. But these, I, I talked to the Pleasant Hill manager on Saturday and he goes, yeah, we're going to put them in. Matt Weber, I think he's going to put them in. He's going to take an order. So it depends on the manager. Yeah. So, and I, we met with some of the fairway heads. We've talked to Reynolds Kramer and, and Nick Huberty and Kobe Newbold, and we've talked to them. And the fairway managers, if they have room, they have the ability to put them in. So if they say that they don't, I don't believe that to be a true statement. I don't, I don't, but, I don't believe it. But, but I, I don't know. I'm just I don't calling know. them I mean, out. It's I'm calling them it, out. And that's good. You know, I mean, that's what, you know, and, and but I think he's missing out. He's missing I, out, you know, and. Um, I agree. You know, 100%. Fairway We're gonna, wanted, oh, I'll, go ahead. No, go ahead, Tim. That's all right. I was going to say, when I we initially talked to Fairway, they came back. They wanted a breakfast pizza with a house divided, where you had the Cyclone logo and the Hawkeye mm -hmm. logo. And I just said, one, we can't put that on a label, I don't think. Two, the Hawkeye people wouldn't sign off on it. And, right. and the cyclone, and I don't think the pizza would sell then. I think you'd have cyclones yeah. to say, I'm not going to buy it because the Hawkeyes and Hawkeye fans say, I'm not going to buy it because of the cyclones. That's, right. a, that's, a, that's a dumb thing. We're not going to buy it. And so I think that was a, a foolhardy thing to even want to to do that but we've talked to the swarm people about trying to uh you know we've, we've talked to a lot of different people about trying to do like their nil pizzas you know to try to be fair and they were they're like that's nah, not for us that's not what we want we just want big money cash and i'm like well this is going to go on for a lot of years i hope you know or as long right. as the nil does so and if people like the pizza and it's a good pizza and people are satisfied with it then hopefully they'll buy it on that accord alone so yeah Dry ice, send me some breakfast pizzas, Chris. All right, I got you. We can do that. We can do that. I got coolers. I got shipping coolers, Aaron. So right. I just got to figure out FedEx. I haven't had the – you got to ship like on a Monday because it's two-day ground. So I don't know how far out you are, but it's, you know, as far as FedEx, two-day ground because you got to put 20 pounds of dry ice in it. And so it's like yeah. you got to run to the dry – you got to run down to Hy-Vee or someplace to get the dry ice. Then you got to pack it and you got to label it. And the, I haven't figured the, out – I'm not smart enough. I'm not good on the computer, so I'm not very smart <laughs> to get through FedEx labeling. I have an account, but I'm not very – you know, so it takes I, time. I live in I, Seattle, so – Oh, the, boy. Uh, the cost would be exorbitant. <laughs> I have, I have, which is why you asked me to do it. Which is why you asked me to do it. Stuff to Lake Worth, Florida, on two-day ground. I sent hams, hams and steaks and stuff like that to a guy named Jeff Hansel. Big shout out to Jeff. But uh, I, I've sent stuff to him before with dry ice of FedEx, and it it was able to make it there. So I think I know what I'm doing. I think I can get it there. But Shroggy, I got a lot of guys in line that are you know, hounded me, can't ship it to me. And I'm like, okay, I promise it's coming guys. I promise that <laughs> I haven't been able to, I just haven't had time. I haven't just haven't had time to get it done yet, but well, that's a good I keep telling them I promise. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll wrap up with this final segment, uh, kind of in, uh, we like to do a little bit of fundraising here too, for a good cause, uh, you know, in, in the honor of, you know, of what your dad did and, and, and several other people and what you do for, we will, uh, Steph Copley, who is, uh, 
a, co- a uh, podcaster for the Cyclone Fanatic Network uh, was on a few years ago and jokingly told the host of this podcast to shut the fuck up so she could get her point across. So we decided to sponsor that and uh, we invite people to donate to the Young Women's Resource Center in honor of Steph Copley. But Tim, the way this works is, is I'm going to play a quick ad for the Young Women's Resource Center and invite right. people to donate. And then when we come back, Aaron and I have to shut the fuck up and you can say whatever you want, carte blanche, and we can't, we, 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 so think of something good to, to if you want to roast Keith, I'd be perfectly okay with that. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's get a word from Steph Copley and we'll come back and then Aaron and I will shut the fuck up. Hey everybody, it's Steph Copley, the woman behind the STFU segment on the Old Man Strength Podcast. When I told the guys I wanted to sponsor this segment, they recommended that I make a charitable donation instead, so that's what I did. I chose the Young Women's Resource Center in Des Moines, Iowa. They're a nonprofit that supports, educates, and advocates for girls and young women ages 10 to 24. Their whole goal is to make sure that these young women become strong, self-confident, and successful. And if you know me at all, you know that aligns with my goals as well. If you're interested and would like to donate, check them out at ywrc.com. Org and donate today. And remember, don't forget to STFU and listen every once in a while. Thanks. And we do certainly invite you to donate to the Young Women's Resource Center. They have uh, a, a lot of good programs there and do a lot of good. I was okay, just making Tim. a donation. I was just doing oh. it just now. Well, there you go. I appreciate that. I just hit your QR code. So, All right. Perfect. Well, let's see your tech savvy. You know what you're doing. Well, yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> All right, so this is the chance. We'll shut the fuck up. You get to say whatever you want. I don't know what I want to say. I think I've said it all. I don't. I don't. I don't know. You don't have. You're out of questions. You guys are out of questions. I'm not know. supposed to say anything. Just anything <laughs> that anything yeah. you think you need to say that people need to hear. That's what we're looking for. That's well, right. I think, people, I think. I think. You know. Uh, I, boy, I don't know what I. You know, I get out and buy those We Will pizzas. You know, and support Iowa State. And uh, that's about that's about really all I have. You know, go Cyclones. But uh, maybe maybe dog Keyshroggy a little bit. He's a good man. But <laughs> well, that's what I was waiting for. <laughs> well, I I get so many stories. They're, I mean, they're not appropriate, really. I mean, it's like because you know I've I've seen those. We, we guys, haven't. Ex- you know, we have an explicit warning on the front of this podcast. I'm just saying. No, we're gonna I, save I got, those stories. Yeah. That's we're right. Do a, we'll I, do an event where we, we got. All sit I got. The bar. I got Chris Cox That's... stories. Chris Cox was a roommate of mine. I got good Chris Cox stories. I call him the toughest guy. He's the big loin from Des Moines. I'll I'll he, tell you he, what we'll do. He, I'll tell you what we'll do, Tim. We'll we'll have a reunion episode. You need to do that. You need to have. Uh, yeah. We, we we will. I'm going to set this up with Keith. We'll have Keith and you and Kevin. And oh, you got to get Greg Butts in there, and, and, and you got to get Greg. I met Chris Greg Cox at the bar. Todd okay, Ox, I need a, I need oh a list God. here, Keith. I need a list of people. Hell, we might even do it in person somewhere. They, oh, you could get. You need to get a guy like Billy McHugh out of Chicago and Ken <laughs> Anderson and Jeff Watkins. There's a whole bunch of guys that are that I like. Are I like phenomenal. this idea. When I, like, I tell you what, like if you get like a guy like Roger McCarron out of Chicago, he was a running back when I was there and and, and Cox, the stories are when those guys get in a room and they kind of go off and to hear the, uh, the polite insults that go back and forth, it's just really, really funny. And I know Todd Oxley and I, we always have some kind of dry 
uh, banters back and forth at our tailgates and stuff. And it's, it's just a lot of fun. And if you're a fly on the wall, you really, uh, you really get entertained like that picture you, you showed with those yeah. guys. Uh, that was th- those tailgates lot one spot 1000. That's where my RV is in the RV lot. If anybody can hear this, everybody's always yep. welcome every week. Got lots of wild turkey, lots of Crown Royal peach, because that's what my wife drinks, because she's a peach. You are what you yeah, drink. Yeah, see, Aaron was so, making fun of me earlier for drinking uh, flavored flavored, flavored whiskey. Yeah, I yeah. don't. Tim and I will be drinking the wild hand. turkey. Yeah, I like okay. the wild turkey. I used to drink it because it's cheap. Now I drink it because I love it. But I just, I'm not a huge beer guy, but I drink a lot of wild turkey, and I like it. And Steve Cromie always makes me do a shot of Jameson. And there Jeff Hansel, go. when he comes back, Jeff Hansel, you know, if you're not, if you're not full metal jacket around that guy, he's he's gonna let you know it. So, but well, uh, I like this yeah. idea. Keith's already told me, Butsy's yeah. garage with all of us. Creaseman is oh. the. Empty. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, those garages. Gibson comes over after work, and I mean it. You get Staniac, Tom Staniac. Big shout out to him out in New Jersey, and you get he comes back or Philly, and and I tell you what, he uh, it, it's a it's a fun all night. Right. I'm, I'm marking night. this down. About I'm them, I'll pull the mic and the camera out and we'll do it. So Tim, right. I can't thank you enough for, for coming on yeah. for, for uh, it's been an honor to, uh, to, to listen to you uh, talk about serving our country, but uh, just all the, all the cool stuff that you're doing for other people and things like that. Uh, and it's always, always great to make a good connection. So uh, I yeah. really appreciate Thanks for you having coming me, on. Guys. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It was a lot of fun. So, so yeah. we will, uh, we invite you to uh, obviously listen to all the other uh, Three Beards Media podcasts. Uh, we uh, who's the third beard? Who's the third beard? I well, that's a story. We'll we'll tell that story off air. That's a oh, all right. That's a that's yeah. That's another story that <laughs> I can imagine. Right, right now, there's only two beards, but we certainly like the name, so we kept it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good uh, name. But um, uh, we uh, I I, I do want to give uh, just one quick shout out. Uh, to Jeff over at uh, Gravitate Coworking. He was kind enough to sponsor our studio uh, for the last three months. And uh, unfortunately, we're moving on. So we are looking for new sponsors. Uh, so if you uh, you like what you hear here and you believe in our mission and you want to partner with us, we'd be happy to do that. Uh, just give me a, a DM and, and you know how to reach me. So, uh, But uh, we are uh, going to sign off here. Check out all the rest of the pods on our Three Beards Media Network. And Aaron, you got anything else? Um, I think between the two of us, we're big enough to be three people. I I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm trying to, I'm trying to alleviate Why that. Old problem. man strength. That's right. That's old man. Right. Yeah, right. Well, I think old man fat was already taken. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, All right. That, so. Yeah. Thank you everybody for listening. And we are out of here. <laughs>